Hello, uh, welcome to this week's From the Rookery End. My name's John, uh, and Jason, Colin and I went to a special event last week, which, well, this was the event. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Watford Palace Theatre on this very special evening. And welcome to Tales from the Vicarage Live, the Captain's Special. And now please, put your hands together and give a very warm welcome to your host for the evening. He's one of our own, Mr. Adam Leventhal. Yay! Come on! Yay! Ah! Ah! What a great night! We've got a head! Come on! Come on! I was, to be honest, I'm sorry for the delay. What are we, about 10 minutes late? I was just watching the highlights. Just watching the highlights. Just, sorry, they were like, you've got to go on. No, I was sort of watching the game again. Fantastic! What a day! Now, we aren't going to be playing you the whole event. That'd be unfair. Lots of you paid a lot of money to go and see the, the special things that go on that night. But Adam has been fantastic from the recruit over the last few years. And fantastic for you, because hopefully if you weren't at the event, uh, we can give you a bit of a taste of what it was like, because Adam gave us backstage access uh, to speak to the three former Watford captains that were on the stage. Four wins out of four. Brilliant. Brilliant. See one thing before... We uh, welcome our guest in. I mean, you, to be honest, before I even came out, you were, you were getting a bit frisky, which is fantastic. Let's start with the upper circle, ladies and gentlemen. We just beat in Spurs at home, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah! And the circle. Yeah! And the stalls, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah! And everyone together. Yeah! That's the way to do it, ladies and gentlemen. So. Tonight is the first of two shows that we have uh, as we uh, build up to uh, autumn and, and winter, focusing on our new book, which is Tales from the Vicarage, Volume 7, Wilf Rostron, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he's literally eight yards away from me at the moment. Wilf Rostron, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. So, Wilf, back in Watford, been on stage, how was it? It was great. I don't really watch football much now, so... Getting back and just in bringing all these memories back. I mean, it, it's brilliant. You don't watch football at all now? <sighs> it's too boring. <laughs> just too many passes and no shots and I just... I just. Do you, do you think then, do you think that's because of the way Graham played and, and the way you played under him? Has that had an influence then on the way you see the game now? I don't think so. I mean, you're right. In our time when we were doing that, we, I mean, we were criticised for playing the way that we played. But at least you've got shots and you've got excitement. I just watch it and I see left-backs passing to the centre-half who's passing to the goalkeeper who's passing to the right-back. And then it might go into midfield. And ten minutes later, it might be in the other half. When you played under Graham, because one of the things that bugs me about modern football is you get a throw-in level with the 18-yard, the opposition's 18-yard line. And, and then you throw it back and then it goes back and then it goes back. to the. I'm assuming that under GT, it was like, you've got it there. You've managed to work hard enough to get the ball that far up the pitch. You just you chuck it in the mix, I guess. Is that is that is that how he how he approached them? Definitely, not just not just uh, throw-ins or anything. It was get the ball in the final third. You, I mean, ninety-nine percent of the goals are scored within the final third, and get them in the box. Probably sixty percent are scored, seventy percent from it, getting the ball into the opposition's box. So get some players in and get the ball in. You've got a chance of scoring a goal. Mm. 
Sky Sports that always want to see the balls from outside the, the, the box, don't they? The impressive uh, bits on the well, continued coverage. Well, they are impressive, but they're, they're not as numerous as the ones that you're getting scored in the box. Yeah. It's, it's really quite simple. Get it in the box, you'll score. Back to the start then. So you, you played for a couple of big clubs in Arsenal and Sunderland. What did you know of them? What did you think of Watford when you first heard they were interested in you? I wouldn't have known a lot. To be fair, apart from that, I did know that Bertie Mee was involved with them. And that was a big thing for me, to be honest, to, to make me look properly and seriously. I'd been at Sunderland for a couple of years and I'd kind of rebuilt my career up to a level. I looked at, at what they were doing and I said, well, I'm definitely interested in speaking to them. And I was more impressed when I came down. And the, the way they approached things, I just thought, no, oh, this is right. I'm happy. What sort of captain were you? I mean, were you? Uh, did you go around, you know, telling people off, or were you a sort of arm over the shoulder sort of captain, or how did you approach the role? Well, you've got to be both of those things, I think, at the right time. People can make mistakes, and that they need you. You want to help them then, and because you don't want them to go through thinking the rest of the match, thinking, "Oh Christ, I've made that mistake," and they go worse. It gets back. It gets worse. So you've got to do that, but it, it was really easy because everyone knew their jobs. So they, they, before I even spoke to them, they knew and they wouldn't argue because that's their job. It was dead simple. And, and if, if I was making mistakes, they could say it to me and I couldn't argue back because I know what my job is and I haven't done it right. So would you say there was actually, they always talk about, you know, there is someone who wears the armband in a, in a team, but actually you need a lot of captains in a, in a squad. Were there a lot of captains in that Graham Taylor side? There was a lot of people could have been captain, yes, because it was drummed into us with the way we were going to play. And we took it on board. You know, we weren't fighting against it. We were being successful. So why fight against success? Of course, you had a, a, a young winger, exciting winger in John Barnes playing ahead of you. So as a, an ex-winger playing fullback, what was your relationship like with, with John? Did you coach him through his early years? No. Was <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he just too good already? No, he wasn't too good, but he was good. He was good with the ball. He was a good dribbler. My job, as, as I saw it, which, which it, it actually changed a little bit because normally I would hit a long ball, but if I could give it to John's feet... I'd give it to John's feet. And if, if, as far forward as I can, I, would, I was happy to give the ball to John to his feet and he would do the right thing. Because you, you, you talked about you know, the reason you first started playing at the back was because of, of injuries. Was there ever that desire to, sort of, to go back and, and start playing on the wing again? Uh, not when John came. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have got many games. <laughs> no, looking back at Watford now and your, your time here, how important was it to you, the, the, the type of club that, that Graham and, and the, the, the setup that was at the club? It gave me a great life. It gave me a happy life where my family was raised here. It was just a, a perfect match to me. So many footballers uh, move from club to club to club these days in their career. Some, you know, it's not unusual for a player to play for five or six clubs. Do you think that stability for a for a player playing at one club for a number of seasons? You know, we've uh, we've got a captain at the moment who's who's entered his ninth season. Do you think that's do you think that's really important for a player? Is that something that most players would like to find? You know, where they can they can settle in and, and play season after season. Is that how you felt? Uh, when I when I. Obviously, I was making a big move. I'd just been married to have the first child, so it was important. It was an important move, 
and we wouldn't have done that move without coming, and that was including my wife, coming down here and speaking to the people and getting a feel that we can we can live here. So we got that straight away. Well, I did. It took Jill a little bit longer, but 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 not that much. It was just a good fix. It was it just matched. I I like working hard, and he made you work hard. And I like I don't mind rules. If the if the good rules, I don't mind rules. So I don't mind following them. It was a really good match for me. We can't not talk about the red card. At what point though? We, we the talked one we, the card. one red card. Yeah, <laughs> the, the one red card. I, you know that we, the one suspension. Oh really? I was never suspended. Well, we talked about and you talked about the stage with Adam about the, about that, and you said how you didn't, you, know, you hadn't quite, quite figured it out. When you did figure out that you were not going to be in the FA Cup final, how, what was that moment like? And do you remember what, what you did after hearing the news? Well, I just went home. I think I told Jill that night, and and I was just trying to analyse it because there was there was talk that maybe something could be done, but I thought. There's nothing going to be done, and they can't make a special case for it. But I, I was aware that it would affect the other lads. It's a strange situation they would expect, and you know, it's, it's just not normal. So I was trying to work out how I could manage my relationship with them to n- not put anybody off and not, not to kind of get in the way, really. What kind of role did you play, though, yeah, that, especially that week running up to? to the FA Cup final what kind of role did you play around the, the squad I was involved in the training obviously I was I mean, we, we would do match play situations but obviously I wasn't in the team so, but I, would, I was in the opposition I just worked like any like the rest of the lads just uh, do your job a podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end Les Taylor is also in the book and he'll be here in a moment as well. So, Les, how was that on, on stage back in Watford? Really exciting. Didn't know what to expect, to be fair. But uh, reminiscing about times at Watford is always good to talk about and I thoroughly enjoyed the night. You, you said, said it was like the, the, the best part of your career. Does that come down to is it Graham and, and what he, he did? Or is there anything else you can sort of put it uh, into? A bit of everything, because obviously Graham put the team together. And, uh, you know, I was surrounded by, like, really good players. And as I said, in, in the five years that I was here, I'd done most that I'd ever wanted to do as a professional footballer. Uh, I achieved it with Watford Football Club. So, you know, like, uh, I'll always be grateful. The, uh, at the beginning, you said on stage there, you were at um, Oxford United, who were sort of low down in Division 3. It had uh, an offer from Chesterfield, who were even lower. And there you were talking to Second Division Watford, who were about to sign Pat Rice and Jerry Armstrong. What were you thinking at that point? Couldn't believe me luck, to be fair. You know, like, uh, one, it was a step up for me. So, you know, the pathway to me, because you always have that dream of playing in the top division. So and I, I had the dreams like anybody else, um, but the fact that Graham was going to sign uh, uh, Pat Rice and Jerry Armstrong the same week just told me that the club was going places. And to be fair, I knew about the players already had Ross Jenkins, Luther Blissett, you know, like um, so you knew it was they had the nucleus of a good team already. And the, the years that uh, that came on, it just proved it. And did Graham explain to you then sort of what he wanted you to do, what your role in the team would be? Uh, not really, because um, I think when he. The time I 
the last year at Watford, I played wide right, so I played like a Nigel Callan role, even though I didn't have any pace, but I was just a clever player. Um, and when I made my debut, I came on a sub against Luton. He actually brought me on as wide right. And then it wasn't until the following uh, game that he played me in central midfield. And I, I stuck there ever since, so obviously he knew that um, the best place to play me was central midfield. And I guess your rise sort of as a footballer sort of matched Watford. In fact, it was almost probably more condensed because you went from third division, second division promotion, runners-up, FA Cup final captain, all in sort of such a short space of time. Did you ever sort of step back and sort of look into your career and, and think, wow, why, why is this happening to me? Um, I did, you know, because like, um, as I say, I was at Oxford United, I was struggling uh, at the time. But uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I couldn't for, uh, see what the future was going to hold for me. But I knew the fact that I was surrounded by good players and it, and it was just a team spirit. Um, you, you, you can't see that anywhere else. And to be fair, the basis of the of the Watford team when I joined them were all from lower divisions. You know, most of the players, like Sir Ian Bolton, who'd been here a while, you know, Steve Sherwood, Steve Sims, apart from Steve Sims, he was Leicester. But like, there was a nucleus of lower league players but like they had a great understanding. And when you added to that, it just made for a good team. You're still in football, uh, working at Oxford, is it in the academy system, is that right? I am, I'm head of academy coaching. Um, I've been at Oxford now for 25 years, uh, working in the youth system, and uh, you know, like football's been really good to me. Um, and you look at Watford, you know, um, flying high in the Premier League, sounds a crazy thing to say, but it's, uh, you know, four wins in the trot. How do you look at, uh, I think Watford had, you know, changed so much since you were there? Um, you know, like every everything's changed about it. You know, the, the stadium is like a modern um, Premiership stadium. Uh, in, our, in our day, we had like a greyhound track around it, and it was a bit it was a bit run down to say the least. So it's all modern. Uh, you know, the Premiership, uh, you've got to be a good team, and you know, like a, a good start gives you momentum, and, and hopefully, like Watford can keep this up. You know, like there's there's nothing stopping any team from winning the league unless they've proved that. So it could be Watford's time. We all got our fingers crossed. Neil Cox as well. He is uh, here tonight. Neil, back in Watford. Do you get to come back much with your commitments at work? Uh, No, not really. Uh, I was lucky enough to go watch on Tuesday night at Reading. I just thought I'd I'd pop over and have a look, which was uh, another great result for him. Um, and then on the way today was just catching up on the radio of the of a great result again. Yeah. We'll start with a, a big day in Watford's history that you were involved in. We were actually on the uh, opposition. You probably know where we're going with this. <laughs> so you were standing on the goal line under that volley from Nick Wright. What were you thinking as you saw the ball come in? What the start there? Well, I just remember I shouldn't have been there in the first place. I can't remember I was marking from a set piece, and then obviously Wright did an unbelievable job to to not only score from that position but just to get up and not have a bad back after it because he got himself in positions it went in and I was just thinking this is not going to be our day when he, he scores a, a great goal like that and I think Alec Chamberlain had made two great saves to Heidegger Johnson early on I thought if we score early we'd win this and we'd already been beaten twice by that year so yeah I just thought we need to score first whoever scores first will win this this game and what was the, what was the feeling then in the Bolton dressing room after you said about sort of the two great saves that he made do you feel that 
a missed opportunity or, or was it sort of so be it? I just think on, on the day we, we missed chances early on, but probably when you look back at it, and I think I've only looked back on the game twice, really, I think I've had more mentions from the Watford fans about it than anybody else, really. I think over overall, I think probably Watford were the better team on the day. Um, and as I said after the game, I went in to knock on their door and just wished them all the best, really, because uh, I thought they'd been the best and they'd gone on a great run to get there. I think they'd won nine out of ten games and, and, and fully deserved to, to get promotion. That wasn't the point where you knocked on the door to say, can I come and play for no, you? No, it wasn't. No, <laughs> not really. It's just one of them things that it happened and best team had won. And I think it, I think we got a lot of credit that year, Bolton did. Um, and I don't think Watford had got any at the time. And the final was all Bolton, Bolton, Bolton. I don't think what happened. It's just, just something I did. I knocked on the door and said, listen, well done. Like, there was all on the beers. I walked in, I had a beer in my hand. I said, listen, wish you all the best. And nothing goes all right for you. So. Yeah, and how was it like when you came over to Watford in the end? What was yeah. that like? And, you know, you... It was, you know what you could only describe as complicated times for yeah, the club. It, 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 that year was complicated because had such a good start, and then I came in and we was just starting to struggle a little bit. And then we, we hit the Premiership, and then everybody was looking forward to the next game. And the next game was coming was Tottenham away, was Everton away, was so and so away. And I think it, it, it took a shine out of their promotion by the playoffs. How difficult the Premiership was. Um, a lot of people struggled, um, and that's the way it was. Really, it was hard to be in a dressing room where. You knew what was going to go on early on, um, and there was a lack of fighting spirit because there was just a, had too much class for us. Everybody was playing at the time. You'd played in the Premier League with uh, Villa, hadn't you? So, and obviously they'd done okay. So you'd sort of seen it from a more positive aspect. So how frustrating was it for you, sort of knowing what could be possible? Yeah. I'd, I'd been with Middlesbrough as well where we'd, we'd had a good season a bad season and been relegated and, and I saw the signs early people thinking this is too hard and, and not putting the full amount in, in training and taking it easy in training and getting ready for the games and when you're playing against the, the top players in any league you need to be trained really really well else you, you don't play very well and that's what happened to a lot of our players at the time you're in football still. Yes. Uh, you're at ASA Wimbledon, and uh, we've been there a couple of times uh, on, on pre-season. How's that? Uh, how was that sort of change for you to go from you know the, the book that you know the tales of the Vic this year is all about captains. Yeah. You've always had that sort of leadership. Is that moving over to being a different sort of leader? Was it? Was it hard? Was it? How did you Not cope with it? Really, the gaffer. The, obviously, me, me and the Neil Idley have been good friends since our England under twenty-one days. I mean, that's how we, we met. And then obviously, I managed him to get him to the club here. And then I went to Cardiff with him. And he said, "Look." I've got a job. I want you to come. I want you to be the leader, like you did in the dressing rooms. He says, uh, "I pick the teams, but you're going to do the the leadership skills." He says, "You've always done it, and that's what I want. This club, this clubs have always been about leaders, uh, Wimbledon, and I want you to be one of them." And and that's where we are still now. The manager does all the picking the teams, and and I do the coaching. And if anything needs to be said, we both say it together. Yeah, he's the boss, but he's 99% behind me all the time but he gets the final say and that's how I like it and that sort of role like that sort of captain that sort of that he's, he's got to do is that a thing a, th- a thing about footballers these days that they're they're not quite as there's a gritty. lack of leadership there's a lack of leadership um, I think just just in general in general now in people's people's actual kids that don't really want to do these sort of things and, and the gaffer really liked me about it he just tells everybody the story when I first came to, when he first came to the club I helped, I helped him move house and he says that's what it is he helped me pick my kids up from schools and I said that's what leadership's all about really and we're trying to, at Wimbledon we're trying to get that leadership into everybody uh, from our nine year old that walks through the door that if somebody does something wrong if he walks in the changing room with his boots and he shouldn't do the nine year old tells him and that's just something we're trying to do at a football club that, that we learnt and that's what leaders do so you've captained a, a, a team at a, a higher level and now sort of coaching a slightly lower level. Do you have to approach that any differently because of the, the, the level that those players are at? Um, I think not really. I think we, we, there's, a, there's a way of 
telling the players in the lower leagues, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them. And I think the the better players we've got in, which we've got a lot better players in this season, we've managed to, to get a better budget. You tell them four or five times instead of 15 times. And when you play with the Premiership boys, you only tell them twice. Uh, and that's the way it is. That the, the, the better players take it on board. And if them lads take it on board after five times, they've got a chance of having a good career. Them who don't take it on board after 25 times, they're going to struggle. And that's the way it is, really. Are you looking forward to tonight, getting out there in front of Watford fans? Yeah, I am. It's been a long time to, to be in front of the Watford fans. Obviously, we play each other in pre-season and uh, it's always nice to see Watford fans. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. And obviously, have got a couple of uh, pub legends here as well. So I'm looking forward to listening to their stories as well. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Adam, we find ourselves in an empty Watford mm. Palace theatre yeah. after another Tales of the Vicarage Live. How did that one go for you t- today? I thought that it was given a, a catapult of um, energy from obviously the, the day that unfolded before it with the, with the victory over Spurs. I thought it was just amazing. Walking into the theatre, everyone was charged up. Before we'd even played the intro and come onto the stage, you know, everything was going on before we'd even started. So it was great to come into the room Everyone was feeling great. Obviously, it was a shame that we were one man down with, with Andy having to pull out due to family circumstances. And, I, and I, I'm always concerned about that because I think, look, if there's people that have specifically come to see one person, I, I don't like disappointing people, but I'm sure everyone understood. But then it was great once again to see a different dynamic on the stage and and, and I wanted to change it this time around so we could concentrate more on individuals and find out their own stories. So we sort of split the split the show into two halves, one-on-one interviews, and then got them together for the second half. So, so. the Rocket Men one needed to be together because yes. it was one story, or well, their stories, but as, as one. Yeah. You've been busy writing books, or and there's one came out this week, the A to Z of Watford. Yes. So we did that sort of um, extra little new project for the autumn period I know it's it's summer it was baking hot today wasn't it Mm. but we set that challenge towards the end of last season 26 days recommendations for the 26 letters and John Murray then went away collated it we had a little managerial meeting we made some selections tough decisions and we came up with the A to Z and then we came to the the Graham Taylor game we photographed some of the fans that had contributed and it was great to have them involved and also you know give something back to them because they played a big part in it and then to to get it out get it on people's bookshelves we were able to you know give it to people um this evening and i'm really happy with it it's just something different we're trying to sort of do something that we haven't done before it's a smaller book um we've talked i think before about it and it's it's good for just flicking through if you've got five minutes here and there or if you're occupied doing something else for five minutes um (laughs) and then it's you know to go into stockings around christmas time or whatever but it was just it was just good fun to do it and get the fans involved but the the next one the the, i don't want to call it the proper book for this year but the normal book yes is is the captains uh, which went by mike walters and that's going to be great because he has literally got keith eddie yes when was he 1966 to 72 Uh, shall i see shall i see if i can remember all of them go right so (laughs) Eddie, Booth, Rostron, Taylor, Rice, Hessenthaler, Page, Cox, Marn, Eustace, Deeney. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Were they all easy to find? Were they? Was it? Was it? Was it? Was it, was it, was it a, a fun process to, to do? It was. It was a, a challenge that was set to Mike, and 
he's been brilliant. He went out there like the hunter-gatherer that he is and went about the task with his ears back. And he tracked everyone down, interviewed everyone, got all the chapters done. You know, we're ready to, ready to print it. It's available to pre-order now via talesfrom.com. It's ready to go. And it, I think, you know, it's a themed book. And when you get to read it, you just get so many different perspectives on the responsibility of captaining the side and just the experiences in general and the eras that we had from Eddie back in, you know, the Furphy days, then obviously Rice and Rostron and Taylor playing their part during the, the glory days. Then you've got Hess and Tyler in a barren period, but still had moments of, of fun and giant killings like that Leeds League Cup mm. victory, all that sort of stuff. And then right up to the, you know, the present day with, with Paige and Cox and Marn and Eustace and then Deeney. To have Deeney in the book right now, he's the, he is the leader. Mm. He's the leader of the pack and he's, he's in. He was leading on the pitch today. He, oh. was, he was back to Troy Deeney being the man of orchestrating the, uh, the, the rookery. Oh. It was fantastic. Yeah. We saw a video um, just mm. after the, the break here about your visit to Malawi. Yeah. So to follow up on, on the, the contributions that the Rocketmen book had made to help this school in Malawi. Yeah, so the Rocketmen book saw one pound donated to KitAid. And KitAid have a relationship with a charity called FOMO, which is Friends of Malangi Orphans in Malawi and they basically look after the region of Malangi and all the orphans in that area and there are thousands and thousands and thousands. In the country there are millions and it's a massive issue. What KitAid were able to do is make that link for us. They have a secondary school and they were in desperate need of new textbooks because they continually change the curriculum um, and you know, as a teacher yourself, you know that that can sometimes be a, a challenge in having to get new books and things like that. So we were able to help with that, put all the money that we'd raised to that project, and then we went out there, saw the books, and that film, obviously, that people saw, and we, we're going to put a bit more out on, on social media and stuff like that so it can explain a bit more to, to people that weren't here. We were able to meet the children, meet the teachers, and just almost formalize the relationship because it's not something that ends here the book for the lifetime of the book okay look we're not going to sell you know hundreds of millions of books but we will sell books forever and ever and people will be, always be interested in the story of rocket men and that will continue and those donations will continue and hopefully one day we'll we'll go back and and see them and also on top of that which we showed in the um the film was that you know, one of our recent Tales from the Vicarage Lives, we asked people to bring their kits and we took those kits, 22 kits, out there and we were able to have a game between the yellows and the all sorts of different colours and it was a, a Tales from the Vicarage event. It was brilliant. There's one important question that wasn't answered by the video. Who won the, the yellows or the uh, away shirts? It was, as is becoming very familiar to us now, it was obviously... The home team, which is you know, which is Watford. We're we're just building a, a fortress, aren't we? Uh, next up, though, another live tales from the vicarage to to fully launch the captain's book. Yes. Who can we? Who are we going to see on the stage then? I'm glad you asked me that. We have a list which is currently four, but you never know. It may well extend to five, potentially with with Andy Hessenthaler joining us, potentially with a current player. Who knows? Who knows? Just a little teaser, um, but. Definitely 
going to be here. Rob Page, Gavin Mann, Dennis Booth and John Eustace are going to be here. Who are you most excited about? John Eustace. Yeah. It's the and teeth. I, you got to watch out the lighting and those teeth of his because they'll like shine through. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited to speak to him about a whole number of, of issues. I remember though that, that season when he hardly played because of injury, um, mm. the first Zoda year, yeah. they did a video right at the end where it was Fitz Hall and it was uh, Deeney and they were like talking about all the different players and like joking around and he's a bit like this and he does this and all the rest of it. And then they said, they asked what John Eustace said, he's great, he's brilliant. And they were really like cagey about it. I think it was on the BBC website, they were really cagey about John Eustace. So it'd be really interesting to sort of see how he is yeah. and uh, yeah, just sort of, yeah, how he thought he was as the captain in the book. Absolutely. Um, to, to that role of being, well, comes across, especially Troy Deeney, like being, oh, no, 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 he's, you know, he's don't mess with, with John Eustace. Yeah. Like that must be such a character to find more about, more out about that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think he's a, I think he's a, an interesting character and also another like we saw with with Neil Cox that's moved into um, coaching and management and he's well, he's alongside Steve McLaren now mm. isn't he at QPR so mm. hopefully that's still the still the case when he uh, <laughs> when he pitches up here you in, never know you know, he might be the manager if, if you know absolutely. caretaking <laughs> absolutely and obviously talking to him about the ghost goal because I'm determined to get that somehow I don't know how we do it but this is maybe a campaign that you can start because you've got a you know a big reach but We've got, so we've got we have to get that own goal taken out of the record books. It cannot it cannot be the case that that ghost goal, who everyone now obviously acknowledged at the time, but when you look back, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Has Stuart Atwell ever said anything publicly like I was I'm sure wrong? Referees are allowed to talk publicly. They never <laughs> never seem to. Not while mm. they're in service. Maybe we have to wait till he's in service, then we get him on for Tales of Vicarage Live. Oh, imagine a referee special. Him, yeah. Roger Milford. <laughs> What you need is you need one of those cages uh, at the front. So if any any vegetables are thrown at you, you're safe. Yeah. Or we could just keep yeah, just keep them in a cage above the above the stage. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we've, uh, hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, those two in there, and you just refer to them every so often yeah. and say, "Do you know what they said? No, throw vegetables at them, and then we just throw stuff at them." Talk, talking of things hanging from the ceiling, we saw uh, saw an image of the front of the book. Yeah, and we'd like to know who the picture is based on. Well. It, we will actually we'll explain a little bit more of the process that was gone through to to get that cover and i only found out about it this evening because i thought it was just a an image which from the guys at stone creative design who are wonderful people um they put the the graphics together uh, and the, the design together but that was actually taken from someone dressed as a captain so it was a it was a photograph and then obviously it wasn't i mean he do, he can't look like that he, he, he doesn't look like that. I know the guy that was the photograph was taken off, and he doesn't look like that. But I don't think it's based on anyone in particular. We thought it was you. <laughs> it's got a side party. Imagine if I imagine if I'd done that. Yeah, guys. Yeah, I want a picture of me on the front of the book. Yeah, of course. It's about time. If I if I had done that, then I, oh, that would how bad would that be? That would be terrible. But no, um, it's generic. But it, it's sort of got it's got nods to different eras. I think. Yeah. I think oh, the, it the does. hair, and then but it's a modern kit. Yeah. Um, he's got you know, the the captain's badge on uh, yeah. armband on it. No, it looks it looks pretty. It's pretty strong. Push, yeah. I think it's really strong. I th I think it's very striking, and I think just to have it at a time when we've got our leader in Troy Deeney back out on the pitch, and he's leading like a proper captain now. I'm not you know speaking bad of him last season, but he has said I'm back. I'm feeling good. I'm lighter 
I'm loving playing mm. and I think it's just a nice nice period of time to be talking about captaincy when we've got a bloody good captain out on the pitch at the moment Thank you much to Adam for giving us the access backstage and meeting Les, Wilf and Neil. It was a fantastic evening, uh, as Tales of the Vicarages always are, and uh, we're so grateful for Adam. So thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. Uh, remember, you can listen to us, uh, as you may be already, via Apple Podcasts on your iPhone or via Google Podcasts on your Android device. Thank you very much, and come on, you ones!